and welcome to the Famous Five podcast, in which we share with you a Famous Five adventure written by Enid Blyton. Today's book is Five on a Treasure Island. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to be subject to spoilers, please turn off now and come back when you've read it. Hello, Katie. Hi, Jen. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, and I'm ready for a brand new adventure. Are you? I am definitely ready for a brand new adventure, just in the way that the children are ready for a brand new adventure when they go to Kieran Island for the first time. I've got the synopsis of the first story to kick us off. So... Julie and Dick and Anne are spending the holidays with their tomboy cousin George and her dog Timmy. One day, George takes them to explore nearby Kirin Island with its rocky little coast and old ruined castle on the top. Over on the island, they make a thrilling discovery which leads them deep into the dungeons of Kirin Castle on a dangerous adventure. Who and what will they find there? Ooh... And that's taken from the 1997 edition, because this book was first published in 1942. Wow. Shall we kick off with chapter one? Let's. Sounds like we're going to read it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Welcome to this podcast. Mother, have you heard about our summer holidays yet? Said Julian. (laughs) Just kidding. We're not going to read you the whole book. But that is how this book kicks off. And if you listen to our intro, you will know that Katie has read these books before as a child. And I've never read them. I'm reading them for the first time. So chapter one was super exciting for me because I didn't really know who the characters were. And this is where we get to meet them for the first time. But of course, for you, Katie, it was like meeting your old friends again. It was like meeting old friends that you've sort of forgotten what they were like when you first met them. Because having had so much distance from the stories and being so keen on the 1970s television version, getting back to the core of the characters was really interesting. And of course, when you're reading them and you're seven or eight, the fact that Julian is 12 and that's, you know, that's older children, and then reading it as an adult, you're thinking, Julian's only 12. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? Because I I didn't read these, but I did read Some Secret Seven and the children are the same age in that. And I was reading it when I was a bit younger and thinking, oh, these older children and the things that older children do. And now, of course, (laughs) I look at it as, wow, Anne is 10. That is just, she's a baby. So in the first chapter, they discover they have a cousin that they've never met. Or heard about before, which is very exciting, doubly exciting, I would think. Yeah, and as there doesn't seem to be any animosity between the two parents, it does seem strange that having a cousin the same age that they've never met. Actually, that is really weird, and I didn't even think about that before, but they're going to Kieran Bay for the first time, even though these children are 10, 11 and 12, but they've never, they've never been there to visit those people before. I do like this where we first meet them. And also we haven't met George yet, but we meet her through the other children finding out about her. Dick, I decided straight away that I liked him when their mother says she's about 11 and Dick says, 
same age as me. Fancy having a cousin we've never seen. She must be jolly lonely all by herself. I've got Julian and Anne to play with, but Georgina is just one on her own. I think she'd be glad to see us. I just love his attitude. He's like, wow, I love playing with my brothers and sisters, so she's going to be so pleased to have us there. It's just so cute. (laughs) He is a very jolly little boy. He is, isn't he? Yeah, I think he sort of brings not necessarily comedic value, but certainly a lot of light to situations. Yeah, because a lot of the time I felt like he... He's not like a filler character, but I didn't feel like he had that much going on to begin with in the book. But he's still... I don't know, he still he seems important. He's just sort of like that little jolly one in the background. It's a very popular children's literature trait to get rid of the parents. So quite often the heroes of the book are orphans. But in this case, mother and daddy are just going to Scotland. It is a good device, though, because the children can have a lot of fun with their parents away and they can do things that they wouldn't be able to do if they were with mum and dad all the time. Absolutely. Very exciting. Especially if you're seven or eight reading these books and these older children are on their own. And it just seems like totally normal things that older children would do. Face down men with guns and things, you know. Oh, spoiler. (laughs) Oh. And their car journey from their house in London to Kirin is so long that it involves two meals. That's how long it is. Yeah, because there aren't that many details in this book. But, I mean, I assume that Kieran is somewhere near Cornwall, so I don't know where they are. They must be well up in the Midlands. Well, they... Does it say in this book that they're in London, or is that something... I feel like I know they're in London, but I don't know if it's because you told me or because it says that they are there. Along the crowded London roads, they went slowly at first, and then as they left town behind, more quickly. Ah, so they're from London. Now... Something that's set up very early in the book is the fact that these children are going to eat a lot of food. But if you imagine when this book came out in the 40s, rationing was at its height and people and children didn't have food that the famous five were eating. So it's that escapism again. You've got the seaside and the countryside and the blue skies and the food that they can eat which wasn't a possibility in 1942 so it's very much escapism even in the 40s yeah of course sort of escapism for everyone isn't it because they don't they don't really interact with any technology not even radio and even though we know uncle quentin's a scientist we don't know anything of what he does so the books are just kept very very sort of innocent and basic they could be set anytime Absolutely. And I am going to do my very best not to throw forward to any of the other books because about three times now I've wanted to go, well, actually, well, actually. And of course, I don't want to do that because I know you haven't read them and there might be you listeners who haven't read them either. So I'm going to very much keep a book at a time and not spoil anything ahead. Of course, that's really interesting because also... We all know, and if people don't already, they'll find out very soon that you are Team George. (laughs) And when I started reading it, I thought, which child am I? And at the moment, I think I'm Anne because of some of the things she does. I just think, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. But I don't really know them well enough yet. So, yeah, so it's interesting that I'm just saying, oh, well, they don't even listen to a radio. But of course, you've read all 21. So you actually know if they do or do not listen to a radio later on. 
they have now arrived at Kieran Cottage, but Georgina is nowhere to be seen. And Aunt Fanny explains that she's called George and that she's a rather difficult person. Do you know any rather difficult people, Jen? You might be one of them. (laughs) I might just be. But in a nice way. Thank you. We meet Uncle Quentin for the first time, and he scares everybody with his frowning. Oh, yes. Him. Kieran Cottage appears not to be big enough for Mother and Daddy to stay. Anne is sharing with George, and Julian and Dick have their own bedroom. And then we must assume Uncle Quentin and Aunt Fanny have a bedroom. So that's three-bedroom cottage. How lovely. And unfortunately, Anne, your, your girl makes the mistake of yawning, and as we all know, when you yawn in front of an adult, immediately you're sent to bed. This is true. The yawning was one of the first things that made me think, maybe I'm Anne, because at work, every day, people say to me, will you stop yawning? You're going to make me yawn. I just get sleepy. Well, yawning is also about a lack of oxygen as well, so maybe you're not breathing enough. (laughs) Maybe. The next morning, Anne awakes, and in the other bed is... A curly-haired girl who shall only talk to her if Anne calls her George. And, of course, Anne declares how she loves being a girl. And then the boys arrive and meet George, who, after talking to Anne, refuses to talk to them. But Aunt Fanny puts her straight and says that she should take her cousin's bathing, which I think is swimming, but perhaps it's more relaxed way of swimming. Rather than doing lengths, maybe. It's definitely a more old-fashioned way. In all of these sorts of books, they say, oh, they went for a bathe. And Anne spies a funny little island. And George announces that it's her island. And nobody believes her. Though they're a little bit too polite to say that they definitely don't believe it. Oh, except Dick, who says, it can't belong to you. But I think I would be perhaps inclined to not believe somebody who announced an island belonged to them, especially if they were 11. Oh, that's true, yeah. Especially if you don't know them, you might think they were just boasting or trying to pull a fast one on you. That's true. But of course, George explains that her mother's family owned a lot of the land and they had to sell it. And now they just own Kieran Cottage and the island and her mother in word, gave her the island. What a nice gift. Yeah, I think that's excellent. Yeah, I'd like to be given an island. They mention quite a lot in the book how the family, George's family, doesn't have a lot of money. So I think that's probably in reference to, well, I can't give you whatever the modern equivalent of an iPad and an Xbox is, but I can give you an island. (laughs) An island's arguably better, but nonetheless... So the sea around Kieran Island is full of rocks and George knows how to sail around them, of course, but her great-great-grandfather was a sailor and he was bringing in gold on the boat which was shipwrecked and nobody knows where the gold ended up and that's important for later on in the story. Yes, it is. And then we meet the final member of the Famous Five, Timmy, (laughs) a big brown mongrel dog with an absurdly long tail and a big wide mouth that really seemed to grin. He sounds divine. I love him. 
He does sound a wonderful dog, doesn't he? Yeah. So George explains that Timmy got sent away from the house because he liked to chew things. But mm. George couldn't part with Timmy. How could anybody part with Timmy? I know, how could anybody? And so a local fisher boy, Alf, looks after Tim and George pays all her pocket money to him. That's a lot. Then comes one of my favourite moments in the book. Because George gives all her pocket money to Alf, she can't afford treats like ice cream and chocolate. And then the tinkle of an ice cream man's bell was heard in the distance and Julian felt in his pocket. He jumped up and rushed off, jingling his money. In a few moments, he was back again carrying four fat chocolate ice cream bars. He gave one to Dick, one to Anne, and then held out one to George. She looked at it longingly, but shook her head. No, thanks, she said. You know what I just said. I haven't any money to buy them, so I can't share mine with you. And I can't take any from you. It's mean to take from people if you can't even give a little back. You can take from us, said Julian, trying to put the ice into George's brown hand. We're your cousins. No, thanks, said George again. Though I do think it's nice of you. She looked at Julian out of her blue eyes and the boy frowned as he tried to think of a way to make the obstinate little girl take the ice. Then he smiled. Listen, he said, you've got something we badly want to share. In fact, you've got lots of things we'd like to share, if only you'd let us. You share those with us and let us share things like ices with you, see? What things have I got that you want to share? asked George in surprise. You've got a dog, said Julian patting the big brown mongrel. We'd love to share him with you. He's such a darling. And you've got a lovely island. We'd simply be thrilled if you shared it sometimes. And that's one of my favourite moments because that's the beginning of the friendship of the Famous Five and Julian recognising that George hasn't had to accommodate any other children in her life before, really. I liked that bit too. I thought it was very sweet that... I feel like Julian really works hard to make her want to be their friend by bargaining with her like that. Because, of course, she's got Timmy. I would give her all of the ice creams. Of course. I agree. Mm. Actually, that was a little bit before the part you read. That was another I Am Anna moment where George says that she spends all her money on Timmy. And Anne says, how do you manage when you want any sweets or ice creams? said Anne, who spent most of her pocket money on things of that sort. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> and another Anne moment in chapter four, when Anne puts her foot in her mouth and oh. nearly gives away the secret of Timmy. I know, and she gets kicked under the table, bless her. She does, but she's very brave and noble and asks George not to punish her brothers for her mistake because George has promised to row them out to see the wreck. And Anne made the mistake and she's, you know, she's going to cop for it. And she's saying, punish me, but don't punish my brothers. That's not fair. Which is very level-headed for any 10-year-old. Yeah, that was one of my favourite parts when Anne is just so sweet and then George gives her a hug. It's lovely. It is. It's really, obviously it's the introductory book, so we're setting up all these characters. But we're getting a feel for them very early on. They visit the wreck. Everybody marvels at George's rowing, and I think Julian has a go at rowing as well, and they dive down to it. And then, of course, because they're the famous five, they go home to bed. Oh, yes, on time. 
The next day, Aunt Fanny and the children have a picnic, which means Timmy can't go, because that means George is in a bad mood. But, another George and Anne moment, she teaches us to swim better. That was sweet. I like as well that everybody just acknowledges George is the best swimmer. The end. Yes, they're not competitive with her. They just recognise that, I suppose, if they lived by the sea, they would be as good as she is. She's had a lot of time to practice. Yeah, she has. At supper that day, they decide they'll go to the island because they haven't been to the island yet. They just got as far as the wreck and had to go home. And George isn't sure about the weather. She thinks there's a storm coming. And in an interesting bit of characterization, Anne cleverly manipulates George using Timmy as bait. Yeah, we shan't be able to have dear old Tim with us if we hang about the house. Which is not something you associate with Anne's character traits, but she's she's a clever one. She's sharp. And then they go to one of my favourite fictional places in all the world, Kirin Island. It's teeming with rabbits that Timmy's not allowed to chase. The ruined castle, the jackdaws. I've imagined this island for years and years. And Anne is very excited to be on the island and absolutely falls in love with it. Who wouldn't? It's full of rabbits, which aren't frightened. But then, just as George predicted, the storm comes. Uh Uh-oh, didn't see that coming. Well, very sensibly, they pull their boat up further onto the beach so that it doesn't get got by the waves. Um, And they go to the only bit of the castle that has a ceiling, so there's one room left of the castle, and light a fire. Julian has matches, but they say there's no paper to start the fire. And Anne, clever old Anne, says the sandwiches are wrapped in paper, and that would be good to burn. And of course Dick wants to eat, because I think that sets up very early that he is the hungry character. Oh yes, he is. He is the hungry character. And there's another lovely julian george moment where george says she's going to give all four of her biscuits to timmy but julian works out that if they all give timmy a biscuit he'll have four and they'll still have three each that's so sweet isn't it wonderful yeah they're lovely children that's a very heartwarming moment and julian goes out to get more sticks and he sees a ship it's the wreck that the storm has brought up from the bottom and in chapter seven George wonders if the wreck belongs to the Queen or not, and Timmy doesn't like it. Now, Anne has an interesting suggestion as to why Timmy doesn't like it. Yes, you are very fond of her reason, aren't you? Yes, go on, what is it? It, He probably thinks it's a whale. Why? Uh, Even Anne laughs when she says it. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I've got a feeling, I know it's very early on, in our adventure. But I've got a feeling there's going to be some great Anne moments that are completely lost to history because Anne has been stereotyped into the girl of the book that gets scared and doesn't do anything. Well, she is sometimes scared when the others aren't. A little bit back when they when she came up with the idea for the paper for the fire, she doesn't want to go outside to collect sticks because she's afraid to go out in the storm. But she's... Yeah, she's a, she's a great one. I think she's my favourite. After the storm subsides, they row home and George returns Timmy at tea and gets kicked again and called an idiot. 
Oh, so mean. In a rather uncharacteristic moment from Julian, when they go upstairs to play, he flips a table over with a crash. Yeah, uh, he gets wild. When he did that, I was a bit surprised. And also he becomes very... What's the word? He sort of dominates the children. We'll play at wrecks, he said. This is the wreck. Now we're going to explore it. Okay. I mean, he is the older brother. Oh, yeah, he is the oldest. And he is only 12. Yeah, that's true. He's the oldest and he's only 12. And I mean, flipping the table was, you know, a pretty good idea. But I think the way he does it is a bit wild. Maybe he was overexcited from his day. I think that's what it is. But of course, Uncle Quentin comes up and is very cross. We've not said a lot about Uncle Quentin because mostly it's negative about how cross he is and how busy he is and how he doesn't want to be disturbed and that's really what he brings to this story so far is be quiet because don't disturb Uncle Quentin. Yeah. In one of our favourite moments that we've discussed quite a few times the children entertain themselves quietly. Anne has a doll, Julian has a book, George whittles some wood and Dick sits back and has a think which is wonderful. (laughs) I know. What is that? That is just... That That was when I thought, wow, he is a filler character. Everybody else has an activity. And Dick, well, you must sit and have a think. No defining characteristics. I thought, is this what children did before computer games? But Well, truth be told, sometimes when I have some time to pass, I do just sit down and have a think. <laughs> but the way it's written, I think, is funny. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's like pick an activity and you say oh I'll have a think <laughs> I mean he could have been drawing or he could have had some toy soldiers or he could have I don't know he could be writing a diary or he could be also looking at a book of maps or something I don't know there's lots of things he could be doing Julian fetched a book from somewhere so Dick could have had one too but no he fancied a little think and they all go to bed early at 8pm, which sounds blissful. Yeah, and George has to tell them not to go to bed straight after tea in case she thinks they're ill. And as we know, if you even yawn, you get sent to bed. So if she thinks they're ill, they'll never be allowed to go to the island. Again, ever. <laughs> ever. Good, good thinking, George. She's savvy. She knows what's what. She does. So we're on to chapter 8 now, where it's discovered that Anne is a giggler. And has often given secret plans away because they're waking at dawn and sneaking out of the house. I want to know what these secret plans are that Julian, Dick and Anne had before they were in the Famous Five. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe they've had other school holiday adventures because they all go to boarding schools as we've either already found out or we find out later, but they're not at the same schools. I did worry about them a bit in this part of the book because they all sneak out before breakfast. They don't leave a note and I just think, what happens to poor old Aunt Fanny when she wakes up and all four children are missing? I thought that to an extent, but I also thought, I'm pretty sure George would do this quite often. Yeah, and I guess it's there's a difference between all four going missing and just one of them, you know. You'd think, oh, they're all off somewhere. And it was the olden days. It was the olden days. They get to the wreck and they climb on it. Julian, of course, has a torch because he would. Well, yeah, because they get dressed in the morning in their jeans and a jersey, but they they have also got all the things they'd ever need packed into like their jeans pockets or whatever. Naturally. 
And the smell was really bad in the ship, which I was a bit confused about because if it's only just come out of the ocean, it would just smell a bit sea-y, wouldn't it? It wouldn't stink. Well, drying seaweed can give the right pong, so perhaps that's what it was. Oh, you're right. Yes, there would have been loads of things on it that would dry out and smell bad. Okay, thank you. Thank you for clearing that up. That helps me sleep better at night. That's a pleasure. So they find a cupboard, and in that cupboard they find a box with H.J. Kieran on it. Henry John Kieran, which was the name of George's great-great, possibly another great-grandfather. And George realises this must have been his very private box in which he kept his old papers or diaries. And they realise they simply must open it. Unfortunately, Julian doesn't have a, I don't know, a hammer and a chisel in his jeans pocket. Otherwise, they could get it open there, but they have to take it home. That is a shame. And when they return home, they get scolded and only get half of their breakfast. So they do get a punishment, Jen. No bacon and eggs, just toast and marmalade. It was very sad. Poor things. (laughs) Children who come in so late don't deserve hot bacon and eggs. And they try to open the box using things in the shed, but it's no good. And then Anne, clever old Anne, who that's what I'm going to start calling her, clever old Anne, has the idea of taking it to the top of the house and throwing it down. Yeah, because then it will burst open. And they consider that it might wreck the contents, but they haven't really got a choice at this point. They've no other way to open it. Again, I think just like flipping the table, throwing it out of the window is a bit wild, but okay, go ahead, kids. Well, if it's clever old Anne, maybe it's wild Julian. Oh, yeah. And Uncle Quentin confiscates the box. And calls George a baby. Ugh, rude. Anne reveals that it came out of the wreck. And Uncle Quentin reveals that he knows about the wreck. And says, well, this box may contain something important, he said, and took it from Dick's hands. You've no right to go prying about in that old wreck. You might take something that mattered. Well, it's my wreck, said George in a defiant tone. Please, father, let us have the box. We just got it opened. We thought it might hold a gold bar or something like that. A gold bar, said her father with a snort. What a baby you are. This small box would never hold a thing like that. It's much more likely to contain particulars of what happened to the bars. I've always thought that the gold was safely delivered somewhere and that the ship, empty of its valuable cargo, got wrecked as it left the bay. So Uncle Quentin knows about the gold, which we didn't know beforehand, that he's got theories, but Mm. also he calls his 11-year-old daughter a baby for thinking there might be a gold bar in the box. I don't think that's... I don't think that's a wild leap for George to make. No. Because all she's ever heard about is a great-great-great-grandfather, a ship, and gold. It was a good assumption, George. So, wild Julian decides that when Uncle Quentin falls asleep, as he does in the middle of the day when he's working really hard, he will sneak in and get the box away. That is also, let me say again, that is wild. To sneak in. Because Uncle Quentin is frightening. And Julian thinks, I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to sneak that box out. It's also that thing of the children doing something that actually is not necessarily good behaviour, but it's not terrible behaviour. They're 
their sort of desperation causes them to do something that they might not have done normally. And inside the box, they find a map of Kirin Island that shows the dungeons that George has never been able to find and the word ingots. They make a copy of the map and return the box, certain that they will find the treasure. Meanwhile, they find out that the newspapers have got wind of the wreck and the journalists want to speak to Uncle Quentin. And they also become obsessed with the word ingots, which I loved. What a lovely word. Ingots, ingots, ingots. (laughs) George is furious that the newspapers are full of news about her wreck and her island, of course. And it's even worse when she finds out that Uncle Quentin has sold the box, even though it means he's in a very good mood. When they were looking in the box, I thought, oh, they should just take the map. But they didn't, because even though they immorally took the box from Uncle Quentin, they then don't want to steal from it. So they've just copied the map. But then when we find out Quentin sold it, my first thought is the same as theirs, which is someone else may guess what that map's about. Even worse news, they found out that Uncle Quentin says he's going to sell the island. That was the worst. I've felt so angry and upset about that. It does mean, though, that they are allowed to go and camp there, even though it may be the last time. In chapter 11... They make a list of what they're going to pack and George ponders how nice it is to have cousins. She thinks, I like my three cousins awfully. I like them because they talk and laugh and are always cheerful and kind. I wish I were like them. I'm sulky and bad-tempered and fierce and no wonder father doesn't like me and scolds me so often. Mother's a dear, but I understand now why she says I'm difficult. I'm different from my cousins. They're easy to understand and everyone likes them. Poor George. She goes on such a journey in this book. She does. But also, of course, Julian has uh, a wonderful line when George reveals that she's thinking how nice her cousins are and how she wished she could be like them. And Julian says, You're an awfully nice person. You can't help being an only child. They're always a bit odd, you know, unless you're mighty careful. You're a most interesting person, I think. Wow, a great compliment. I I actually think that is a great compliment, the interesting person bit. I would be quite happy for somebody to tell me they thought I was interesting. Yeah, that bit's all right, but I did laugh when he just generalises every only child in the world ever. And what's his frame of reference? Oh, I suppose he's at school with other children, but even so... Yeah. At 12, you're not really going, oh, well, you're an only child, so you're a bit unusual. <laughs> so they set off to Kieran Island with Timmy, of course, but disaster. The wind swipes the copy of the map out of Julian's hand and into the sea. <gasps> but Timmy to the rescue and he gets the map back for them. And this is the first time where Timmy really comes into his own and contributes to the adventure. And it's not the last time. Yeah, he... He did a great job. He acted very quickly and saved the day and the map. Because in the next chapter, he also contributes because they arrive at the island, they're looking for the dungeons and they can't find them. So instead, on the map, they try and look for the well because the dungeons are located near the well or the entrance to the dungeons are located near the well. And Timmy just can't cope anymore. He's got to chase this rabbit, which he does and ends up falling down the very well they were all looking for. But George, being George, goes after her beloved dog. Now, fortunately, a slab has fallen down the well 
many moons ago and has wedged in so Timmy can stand on that and it takes his weight no problem. George goes down the ladder at the side and climbs back up with him on her shoulder. Well done. Which I can't even imagine doing. Uh, He's a big dog, but she's tough. She is. So now they know the dungeon is nearby. They find the entrance, go in the dungeons and find a door, but it's locked. So they decide to go back to camp to get an axe. But unfortunately, they go around in circles in the dungeons. But this plot point is where they realise the well has an opening into the dungeons. Anyway, they make it back out and realise it's 6.30 and they're hungry. They decide not to return and they all go to sleep. The next morning, they take the axe down to the door, making chalk marks as they go, which is very clever. Always have a piece of chalk in that pocket that you've got your torch and matches in. Yeah. But as they hack the door, Dick is hit by a splinter in the cheek. So Anne, Dick and Julian return to the surface to take care of Dick. Now, Julian gives some quite bad advice because he says to lie down because that's what you should do when you've got a nosebleed. If you've got a nosebleed, you pinch and lean forward so the blood runs out and not down your neck. So he may be good, but he's not so good with nosebleeds. So let's hope nobody gets a nosebleed around Julian. No. uh, I mean, he tries his best. He takes charge and he does the sort of oldest boy bit and nothing bad happens to Dick, so... Of course. And it might be quite possible that in the 1940s people did say tip your head back for a nosebleed. But modern readers, just so you know... (laughs) Don't do it. Pinch the bridge of your nose and lean forward. (laughs) When Julian's certain that Dick is okay, he returns to the dungeons to George and they make it through the door to the ingots. Now, Tim begins to bark, and two men appear. One's called Jake, and one's called the other man. And one of them has a revolver. Ooh. Now, the revolver is frightening, but the men are quite tame. Because he says, now listen to me. If you're going to be sensible, nothing unpleasant will happen to you. But if you want to be obstinate, you'll be very sorry. And then they detail everything they're going to do. They're going to leave the island, get a ship, come back for the gold. And he makes George write a note to get the other children to come to the dungeon so he can lock them all up. But don't worry, they are going to leave some food and drink for them in the dungeon. (laughs) As you do with prisoners. George is very canny in this moment and she signs the note Georgina. This is one of my favourite famous five moments because my full name is Catherine and I never use it. So I would like to think that if Jen ever got a note from me that said from Catherine, she would know that something was going down and she would come to rescue me or she would go and get help. And I realised because I often go by Jennifer as well as Jen. But if I were to write a note and something was bad, I would sign off as Jenny, which I never go by, and then you would know to call for help. However, if you were to fasten any note to my dog Shadow's collar, she would never deliver it to anybody, unless they had cake. Oh, yeah, well, if they had cake, that that could work. Uh, (laughs) We don't have dogs. We've got cats. One of them, uh, good luck getting near her and keeping your skin and limbs intact uh the other two 
I mean, they don't wear collars, but that's not the biggest reason why attaching a note to them wouldn't work. So good job, guys. (laughs) But (laughs) find a pigeon somewhere. (laughs) Now, this is the start of Dick really coming into his own because he gets the note and recognises that George would never sign Georgina and that it's a warning. Yeah, clever old Anne says, oh, don't be silly. What could be wrong? Let's go down there. Oh, Anne. But Dick, he knows something's up. Yeah, he smells something fishy and it's not the wreck. Ooh. Thank you. They go to the inlet and see that there is a motorboat there so they know that there's danger. And I'm so happy that chapter 15 is entitled Dick to the Rescue. Woo! Timmy returns to George and Dick and Anne realise they can't row off the island because of the rocks. And the men come looking Mm. for them, so they hide in the well. The men have also covered the entrance to the dungeon with stones too heavy for those children to move. And then Anne, clever old Anne, says we could climb down the well to the entrance into the dungeons. And Dick says he'll try, but not Anne. And I think, although that's quite bossy, I think secretly she's probably glad. Yeah. So she... And this is where clever old Anne part five she tells them to take Mm -hmm. a rope because they don't know whether the ladder goes all the way down and of course it doesn't so he has to use the rope dick slid down the rope holding onto it with hands knees and feet glad that he was so good at gym at school now that is useful that is because you know Anne doesn't really want to go down there but she probably doesn't do gym and rope climbing at school in those days she would have been doing you know needlework and cookery so Dick's actually got a specific skill set to allow him to scale that rope. And that's why he's there. That's why it's not the famous four. We need Dick at times of great peril. It turns out he is not just filler. As this chapter is entitled Dick to the Rescue, he rolls it all out here. He is going to help save the day. He's actually the only one of the children named in any of the chapter titles in this book. Oh, nobody else gets a mention by name. Not even Timmy. I was going to say just Timmy, but no. Timmy is named as a new friend in chapter three. Dick makes it to the room where Julian and George are being held prisoner and he opens the door and announces, how does it feel to be rescued? Which I think is really setting up Dick's character of being quite jolly, even in rather uh, tough circumstances. Then things get quite complicated because it becomes a little bit like a French farce with everybody being here, there and everywhere, but we'll do our best to explain. So the, the three children escape back up the well. They rush to their boat, but the men have taken their oars so they can't row away. And it's Julian's turn to have a think. But he's thinking specifically of a plan, which is when the men return, the children will lock them into the room. But Dick and George are not so sure, because what if the person, for example, Dick... (laughs) Sorry. I know, actually, (laughs) Julian even says, quick, Dick, down the well, go and hide until you hear them in the dungeon. So he he decides straight up, Dick's just going to go. Well, he's good at gym. Well, he is good at gym. And... Julian says that if they pile rocks on the doors just like the men did, even if Dick doesn't manage to bolt the door, they can't get back up. And Dick, or whoever, can escape through the well shaft. Ah. And then being the famous five, they then eat while they wait for the men. 
When they see them, Dick gets into position and the other three hides. He manages to get the door locked, but the three men force it because there's three men now rather than two. Dick escapes, they make it to the boat. George grabs the oars from the motorboat and tells Julian to ready their boat while she takes an axe and smashes their motorboat. Yes! That was a wonderful part of the book. Wasn't it just? And in the final chapter, they row past a large boat that the men had used, but they ignore the man on it, which is quite fun. Imagine being on a big boat and there's just some children in a little boat snubbing you and looking the other way. I know, how funny. (laughs) But Julian then sees them lowing a small boat in order to rescue the men. However, the children get home and they tell Aunt Fanny and Uncle Quentin what's happened and check that he hasn't sold the island yet. Eventually, Uncle Quentin gets what's happened. Takes him a while and he has to go back to the beginning of the story. But then he says, You've been very clever, he said, and very brave too, and I'm proud of you. Yes, I'm proud of you all. No wonder you didn't want me to sell the island, George, when you knew about the ingots. But why didn't you tell me? The four children stared at him and didn't answer. They couldn't very well say, Well, firstly, you wouldn't have believed us. Secondly, you are bad-tempered and unjust, and we were frightened of you. Thirdly, we didn't trust you enough to do the right thing. (laughs) I'm glad they didn't say any of those things. Yeah, Quentin, he he seems a bit abusive throughout the book. But then Fanny says, you know, you scare the children, you know. Yeah. It's very much Aunt Fanny's the peacemaker, Uncle Quentin has the fiery temper. They also make a lot of the fact that he doesn't have a lot of money and he's frustrated because he can't provide the things that he feels like he should provide for his wife and daughter. Enid Blyton sort of puts that on him as a reason for his grumpiness. Yeah. But also I'm thinking if he's a scientist and a genius, then they're not very good with social skills anyway. And if... George, because George is a lot like him, they come to blows all the time. He is going to be hot-tempered and not listen and argue more. When it's revealed that the island hasn't been sold, they realise that they're going to be rich and Uncle Quentin actually acknowledges that they will be rich enough to give you and your mother all the things I've longed to give you for so many years and couldn't. I've worked hard enough for you, but it's not the kind of work that brings in a lot of money. So I've become irritable and bad-tempered. So he admits that he is that person. And George says that she doesn't want anything she hasn't already got, but there's one thing she'd like more than anything in the world, and it won't cost you a penny, which I disagree with. It will cost money, but... It's going to cost a lot of money, but not up front. And that, of course, is Timmy. Hmm. Father, Tim is the thing I want most in all the world, said George. And Timmy licked Uncle Quentin's hand and Anne thought that was quite brave of him. That was brave of him. It just mentions that the men got away, but it would have been very difficult to charge them with anything. Threatening behaviour, I suppose, but difficult to prove. Yeah, it's a nice ending for the book because the men get away and we'll know that, you know, because this is a book, we'll never see them again. And the Kirins have kept all the gold, so it's a, it's a nice ending. And at the very end of the book, Timmy is sleeping on George's legs. And George says, Tim, we'll have other adventures together, the five of us, won't we? And it says, they will. But that's another story. Thank you. I couldn't read it because I was going to cry. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I got a little bit emotional. It is, it's quite an emotional book. There are a lot of feels. 
there are, especially for little Katie. Yeah. That was the very first Famous Five book, Five on a Treasure Island. Is there anything you feel like you need to add that we missed out as we were going through? No, I think I think you summarised very well. And uh, my favourite parts, which I wrote down, were the ones where George was being sweet and as she's your favourite character, you went into some depth on those, which was nice. Uh, all the silly things Anne does and everything cute that Timmy does. Those are my favourites. But also, by the end of the book, Dick, he's up there. He's one of my faves. He's so brave. In this section, what I thought would be nice to do is play you a couple of clips from various TV adaptations that have been made over the years. So for Five on a Treasure Island, I've got three clips to play you, and I've chosen the moment where the four children meet for the first time in each one. Now, as this is the first episode, I'll give full details of all productions, and then I can send future listeners back to that to hear actors' names, etc., In 1957, Five on a Treasure Island was produced for the Children's Film Foundation. There were eight episodes at approximately 16 minutes long, and Enid Blyton was very involved in the production. It was directed by Gerald Landau, and in this clip you'll hear Rel Granger as George, Richard Palmer as Julian, Gillian Harrison as Anne, and John Bailey as Dick. You must be Georgina. No, I'm not. Then who are you? I'm George. I only answer to George. Why? I hate being a girl. Well, why do you hate it? I like doing what boys do. Climbing and swimming and sailing boats. Don't you? I don't know, Georgina. I don't answer to Georgina. We don't care what we call you. Anyhow, George is quite a nice name. And you do look like a boy. Don't you simply hate being a girl? No. We'd like to go bathing after lunch. I'm going fishing. All right, we'll find our own bathing place. All the same, we would like you to come with us. I only make friends with people if I like them. So do we. We may not like you, of course. No, you may. All right, I'll show you the way now. Come on. (laughs) It's very prim and proper. It's lovely. So it's very sweet, isn't it? I mean, the 1950s accents are amazing. That's actually on YouTube. You can find it if you type in Five on a Treasure Island 1957. And it's definitely worth watching for the historical quality of the filmmaking in itself. So we're going to move forward a couple of decades now. And in 1978 and 9, Southern Television released a modern version of all but three episodes. And one of the episodes they couldn't make was Five on a Treasure Island, so they reworked a later story as the Five's first meeting. I've edited this clip so there's no spoilers for the story that they did use, but in this clip you'll hear Sue Best as Aunt Fanny, Marcus Harris as Julian, Gary Russell as Dick, Jennifer Thanich as Anne, Michelle Gallagher as George, and this episode was directed by Peter Duffel. There you are at last, George. Tea's nearly over. I'm not hungry, thank you, Mother. These are your cousins, Anne, Dick and Julia. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. Why don't you take them all outside and show them a few places? But I've got to... Got to what? Nothing. Good. I've got something to do, something very secret. So don't try and follow me, any of you. 
Oh, we wouldn't bother. It'll be a laugh a minute with her around. It's all right for you two. I've got to share a room with her. This is going to be a very long fortnight. Dick's comment about <laughs> being a laugh a minute with her around really sort oh, of Dick. sets up that jovial side of Dick that we've seen in the first book. Yeah, I love it. He's just, oh, he's just, he's so sweet. And Anne, bless her, when she says, it's all right for you, I've got to share a room with her. I know, poor thing. But they don't know how fun it will turn out to be. And they haven't met Timmy yet. Timmy Ooh, is a yeah. gorgeous black and white border collie in this version. Oh, I love him. This is the television version that I grew up with and a lot of the episodes I know word for word. So I'm so delighted to be sharing some of the clips with you. And finally, in 1995 to 97, Zenith North released episodes of all 21 stories set in the correct period. And in the clip, you'll hear Marco Williamson as Julian, Paul Child as Dick, Jemima Rupert as George, and Laura Petler as Anne. And the director was Michael Carrigan. Oh, hello. Are you Georgina? No, she's George. Crikey. You look like a boy. Good. Why good? I like girls. Such a nice change from boys. You won't like her. She's very rude. If you're going to be nasty to me... You are nasty to me first. I don't know why I had to come here. Now you are being nasty. Oh, what fun. I'm quite happy on my own. Well, be on your own if that's how you feel. Aunt says breakfast is ready, Anne. And it smells wonderful. They're quite shouting. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of emotions happening there on all parts. So hopefully for each book, we're going to be able to play you a little clip from the episode to see what they did maybe differently from each other. And revisit some of the fashion and delivery of lines and shouting and all the other good stuff we've just been witness to. Absolutely. What have we learned from Five on a Treasure Island? I've learned never to yawn in front of Aunt Fanny. I've learned that when you go for an overnight to an island, as long as you take loads of food and some mugs, you'll be okay. In this book, these children drank ginger pop once and they, you know, they seemed happy and healthy throughout the whole book. So I can only assume they're doing something right. And I now know I don't need to take drinks when I go on holiday, even if there's no drinking water available. I thought they had cocoa, so they must have had water from somewhere. Oh, they did. You're right. They did have some cocoa. So as long as you have a ginger pop one day and a cocoa the next, you're golden. I've also learnt to always draw in pencil. So if it falls into the sea, the ink won't run. Don't flip tables if you want to play a game in your very grumpy uncle's house. And if you're not into reading, dolls or woodwork, just sit back and have a little think about things. Oh yes, a little think. We decided we would also pick a hero of the book. Yes, and I sort of had a hard time because everybody was quite heroic in the end. And I really thought it was going to be Anne that was my hero. For a minute I was battling between Anne and Timmy because he did so much good stuff. But when Dick went down the well with his rope and then when he 
went down the well again with his rope to go and try and lock three grown men in a cell. Dick is my hero of the book. I agree. I, as much as I was cheering George on when she destroyed the motorboat, I think Dick definitely has to win hero of the book. We'd be really interested to hear who you think the hero of the book is. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, we'll let you know how to do that in a couple of minutes' time. Yes, and you know, I think that we should tally who the heroes are so that we can see throughout the 21 books who is the most heroic. So I'm going to write Dick one point. That's a really good idea. So what can we expect next time? The next book is called Five Go Adventuring Again. (gasps) They are going to have more adventures, just like George predicted at the end of the book. And I can tell you that once again, they're at Kieran Cottage. Ooh. And it's the Christmas holidays. Oh. So if you've read them before, maybe you'll think, oh, yes, that Christmas adventure in book two. But if you're like me and haven't read them, you're thinking, what adventures can they have at Christmas? Just a final note. I have used a book called Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About the Famous Five by Norman Wright for my research and all credits of any research that I've used will appear on our website so you can go to the website and have a look at if you want to look further into where our research came from. Yes and if you would like to go to our website we can be found at www.famous5pod.wordpress.com and if you'd like to get in touch with us you can email us on famous5pod at gmail.com and we are also on twitter and that is at famous5pod if you'd like to get in touch with us let us know your thoughts and feelings about the famous five did you read them when you were little are you reading them to your children have you got a favorite character because as established i am team george and i am team anne And I'll be really interested to see if that changes for either of us over the course of 21 books. But let us know what team you're on. You know, you could be hashtag Team Julian or hashtag Team Timmy. You can let us know on Twitter or on email. Maybe you're really good at ropes and gym and you're going to be hashtag Team Dick. Yeah, maybe you do like to just sit back and have a think. Thank you so much for listening to the Famous Five podcast. And please join us next month for more adventures. Goodbye. Goodbye.